This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes affecting philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis. Uh, This is episode 29, uh, and it's another interview episode. So this week I spoke to Ben Joachim and Paul Curian from Disperse. Now, Disperse is a startup that uses blockchain to try and make the movement of money within the um, international development and aid world more effective. Um, I've known Ben certainly for a couple of years now and Paul for for a year or so. Uh, And actually, uh, full disclosure, spoke at the launch of Disperse um, uh, a couple of years back. Um, And it's been really interesting to see the way in which their work has evolved. They're certainly one of the kind of best known examples of the application of blockchain to the world of charity and and civil society. Um, And we had a really interesting chat in which they were very honest, I think, about some of the challenges that they'd found and, you know, the fact that they were concerned in some ways about the amount of hype that there is in the blockchain world um, and that, you know, that hasn't always been very helpful to what they're trying to do. Um, and we spoke about some of the, the challenges they'd faced in terms of navigating the regulatory environment, overcoming the, the last mile challenge in terms of kind of getting money to, to where it's needed in uh, people and communities on the ground, um, and why they remain optimistic about the potential for blockchain technology in the context of civil society and sort of where they see things going in the future. So hopefully it'll be an interesting one for people who have been keeping a bit of an eye on this technology, um, but would like to get a kind of more realistic and honest take on where things are and where they might be going. So without further ado, let's get into the interview and I will return at the end for a brief bit of housekeeping and tidying up. Okay. Okay, great. So I'm joined by Ben Joachim and Paul Curian uh, from Disperse, which is a blockchain startup. Um, I've known these guys for a while. Um, And we're hopefully going to have a good chat kind of exploring some of the issues with where the blockchain for good space is at the moment, some of the challenges they've found and where they think things might be going uh, in the future. So hi to both of you. Hi. Hi. Thanks. Hello. Um, And maybe the, the best place to start, I think, is if you guys just want to give a, a bit of background in your own words about Disperse and kind of how you came to the, the world of blockchain um, and kind of what you what you do. Sure. If, if, if I start, I'm, I'm Ben, the founder and CEO of Disperse. And I guess my, my background, I've spent the last 10, 10 plus years working working in the international development sector, primarily across, across sub-Saharan Africa. I've worked for local NGOs here in the UK that are working with NGOs in, in partner countries and also in... in in those countries itself, and I guess what what I saw was that the the existing system, the existing financial system, wasn't built to serve the aid sector. The existing global financial system wasn't built to serve the aid sector. It's it's slow, it's expensive, and it's opaque. And there are, those are all challenges. Um, those are all challenges that 
that cause difficulties for NGOs, for the wider sector, to deliver its work effectively and to have, have the impact. Uh, so about two years ago, I guess we, we kind of asked ourselves the question, or I asked myself the question, well, what would an alternative financial institution look like for the aid sector? How do we address those, those challenges? And that, that's, where, that's where Disperse began. Uh, I don't know if you want to say a bit, Paul, just about kind of how you came to the party as well. Yeah, so my, my background is uh, slightly different to Ben's. I've, I've been working in the humanitarian sector rather than the, the development uh, sector um, for about 20 years. Um, and in that time, I've worked for every type of organization you can imagine, um, donors, NGOs, UN agencies, private companies, um, and in a, a number of different uh, country locations. Um, and... Uh, a lot of my work had been around sort of innovation. And a couple of years ago, I was employed by the Start Network uh, of, of NGOs uh, to look at new ways of working, the ways in which they could uh, introduce new technology, new new techniques, new processes. Uh, one of the areas that uh, that we investigated was, was blockchain. And I'd been following blockchain since uh, the, the original uh, Bitcoin white paper had come out. Um, I found it very interesting for a number of reasons. Um, and so I wrote a, a paper called AidCoin um, uh, about what the future of humanitarian finance might look like, and then started to develop a, a pilot project with, within the Start Network. Um, and that was around the time that uh, I met with Ben. And uh, we realized that although we'd come at it from different angles, uh, and we had slightly different ideas about how to address the problems, we, we saw fundamentally that there was a, we saw the same problem in a, in a very similar way. Uh, and so I, I joined up with uh, with Disperse at that point. Um, and since then, we've been looking at, at how we can build that solution. And I guess my, you know, I've, I've thought and written a reasonable amount around, around blockchain um, and kind of philanthropy over the, the last couple of years. And I guess my, my remaining big question at the moment, generally, when people are talking about using blockchain in these in these sorts of ways is why blockchain? You know, what what is it do you guys think about using blockchain as opposed to any other you know database technology or kind of distributed ledger that allows you to do something genuinely interesting yeah so i, I think i think there are there are two areas the first is transparency as as, as, as i mentioned at the start the, the existing system is is very opaque um, which basically means that we're unable to trace the flow of funds from end to end from donor to beneficiary so if you're an individual donating to uh, humanitarian cause, let's say the, the crisis in Syria, for example, and you donate £10 or £100, whatever that is, how do you actually know where that money is going and where it's being spent and the impact that it's having? It's having. And, and, similarly, and similarly, if, if you're an uh, institutional donor distributing you know, millions or billions uh, in, in response to, to address poverty and, and crisis, once again, how do you know where that money is going? The existing financial system is, is very opaque. And so blockchain, we believe, provides uh, the ability to increase those levels of transparency. But I guess transparency on its own is not, is not, just the, is not the only answer. The, the question that we look to address is, is how does transparency lead to greater accountability within the sector? And then I think that the second point, and I'll, I'll let Paul elaborate on this, but the, the second point is, is with regards to the notion of decentralization from a blockchain perspective, and then localization from an aid, aid sector perspective. What we're seeing within the aid sector is, is the notion of how do we move or shift resources closer to where they're being deployed. At the moment, we have a very hierarchical aid system or, or structure where those at the, the top of the chain have the money and therefore the power 
what does it look like to start to distribute that power further down the chain? Um, and localization and decentralization tie in tie in very well. And yeah, just to, to expand on that, I mean, the question of, of why blockchain, um, I think for people coming from our sort of background, uh, both political and professional, uh, we look at blockchain technology and, and, and recognize that the technology itself has certain political assumptions built into it. It comes from a particular uh, political perspective, but that we see that there is potential there for it to be used uh, in, in a different way. Um, and for anybody who's interested in, in, in exactly what I mean, there's a, a great book by uh, Adam Greenfield called Radical Technologies. And there's a chapter in there in which he talks about blockchain from a, a left political perspective um, and, and says that we've all been looking for this more distributed uh, future of, of more direct connection, more direct democracy, more uh, local economy, and that blockchain technology may have the possibility to, 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 to achieve that. And, and what we're doing at Disperse is looking at that on a global level and saying, right, there are, <clears throat> it is possible to build, a, for example, a cryptographically secure distributed database um, and, and apply that. But blockchain technology has those functions already built into it, has the transparency, has the security, has the distributed nature. And so you can start from there and then build something on top of it rather than aiming to build something that has those features in and then wondering what you're doing when you get to that goal. So we're, we're very much looking towards the, the future of the aid industry rather than just what's happening now. We think we can add value now, and Ben outlined, I think, a little bit around transparency. We're also aiming to improve efficiencies. But we're also thinking, you know, we can deliver value now, but also be building something that can make a transformational difference to the future of the aid industry. That's that would be really something. And blockchain technology for us seems to have that potential. And I say seems because there's no way we can know unless we try. And I think that's the, the spirit in which we approach this. We're, we're testing this technology. And that's going to be the only way that we can find out if it actually does what we hope it can do. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think um, I just add as an aside for anybody listening who's kind of interested in a, a critique of where um, blockchain technology, and particularly Bitcoin, came from in political terms. There's a book by David Columbia called The Politics of Bitcoin Software as Right-Wing Extremism, which is a sort of monograph, um, which is sort of quite a critical look at some of the political ideology behind it. But anyway, that's a, uh, an aside. I just wanted to pick up on something you both mentioned there around transparency. I mean, obviously, this is a kind of inherent feature of the technology, as you say. And um in you know transparency is not a new idea and the use of transparency particularly in an international development and aid context um to kind of drive greater levels of trust is something we've seen for a while and you can see that being one of the reasons people are excited about blockchain i guess my my question is i've i've started to see some people raising concerns that in a lot of cases the way in which blockchain is being applied the transparency is too heavily weighted towards meeting the needs of donors and funders and not enough towards the the needs of the people in receipt of the money. So actually what it's doing is actually entrenching or making existing power imbalances worse. Do, do you guys have a sense of that? And kind of what, what have you tried to do in your own approach to this to, to avoid that challenge? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair I think that's a fair point to make. Um, certainly when you look at look at transparency, um, Especially from a top-down perspective, donors want to understand where their where their money is go is is going to. But the, I think the same the same point could be made from partners in NGO partners in 
uh, in country um, and also from from beneficiaries that they that they need to understand where that money is coming from and that they have that right to understand where that money is coming from. Now that being said, what we're aiming for is certainly moving towards you know significantly greater transparency. But as as you outlined, that that does present some some problems in some of the pilots and, and demos that we've been doing where we've been working with organizations that are working on the ground with more than one local partner. What does it mean when both partners can see what each other's receiving in terms of grant funding? Um, and and what, what implications does that have or how does that impact on those, on those relationships? And those are some of those dynamics that we're, that we're really starting to unpick. And, and to say, I guess, to say that we've got the answer is, is, is not the case. And, and there's certainly more, more, more pilots and more testing that, that we need to do. But part of that, that testing approach, as Paul said, is to understand what that really looks like and, and to understand what those implications are. Yes, I, I, I think that the we're thinking about what we're doing as a co-design process. So we're very clear that when we're doing the pilots, a big part of that is to get feedback from the, the partners that we're working with about you know, what works and what doesn't. Um, so you know, one of the pilots we've done before, um, they raised concerns about a local partner being able to see back up the, the funding chain. And it was clearly a problem for them. One of the pilots we're planning in the, the near future, um, the organization involved is much more transparent with their partners. They already share budgets between, uh, between partners. So they have much higher tolerance for that. And it's understanding those nuances, I think, that's going to be critical and then working out how we can respond to them in, in terms of that, that co-design process. But it's very, very much the case that, that we are concerned about the way in which transparency is implemented and, and what the implications are. One of the things that, that we have focused on is, is working with institutions rather than individuals. We are now moving towards the areas of uh, like such as cash distribution which would obviously involve sort of direct contact with individuals, but we're testing with institutions. Um, we have a real sense that the, the, the aid industry needs to sort of test new technologies uh, on, 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 its, on itself before it starts testing them on, on others. Um, and part of the reason for that is to, uh, to really understand you know, the nuances of, of, of any individual situation for a particular organization, a particular country context, a particular vulnerable community. Um, the question of whether we'll be able to respond to all those nuances in a single platform, again, that's what we have to work out. But, but definitely we have it in our minds when we're approaching it. That's really interesting. I think the point on um, the difference between institutional funders and, and individual donors is a really important one because, I mean, I, quite a lot of the other examples I've seen so far in, in kind of trying to apply blockchain to charitable giving particularly are focused on individual donors on the basis that the same sort of transparency that, that you guys are looking for um, with your work it is also something that would drive greater donations by improving trust amongst donors. But so far, that theory doesn't seem to have borne out. And I've seen quite a few of these initiatives fail to get off to the ground, I think, for, for that reason. So do you think there is a quite a significant difference between the way in which things like um, transparency and the ability to measure um, the impact of, of where money is going the difference between the the response that institutional funders have to that and how you might think individual donors would respond to that same information. So I think I think we need to one look at the the difference between those those stakeholders. The the levels of transparency and the detail of information that an individual donor would require 
versus an institutional donor, whether they're a government donor or a trust or foundation, for example. Is, there, there, there's certainly a difference between them. But then again, there's also a difference between the levels of transparency that an institutional donor would require versus an aid agency in the UK versus their local partner and and on the ground partners and beneficiaries. And as we said, those, those are some of the questions that we're that we're starting to un, unravel as such. Um, we certainly haven't got all, all the answers yet. Um, going back to your your specific point around around transparency for donors and platforms that have, have already started to emerge and and potentially failed already, I wouldn't necessarily that say that that's a, a, a problem. Or, or the problem is caused by uh, increased transparency. I think there are a number of other challenges uh, around those platforms in terms of how they market themselves and their approach to um, to creating new models. And I think our, our approach has always been um, that we're building this for the sector. We're not trying to replace the sector. We're not trying to necessarily even bypass the sector. I think disintermediation is 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 a natural progression, but we're not trying to reinvent the wheel completely. We're trying to recognize the good work that these organizations are already doing and and provide them the tools and the systems or the platform to make that even more effective. Um, and so I think with, with what else is going on, actually what we need is, is just much more, much more testing uh, and much more data before we can make assumptions that transparency leads to more donations or leads to fewer donations yeah and i i I totally agree i guess you're right you need to um pick apart in in some of these examples the different elements and in quite a few of the cases i'm thinking of the the narrative or theory of change around using transparency is tied up with somebody trying to use an ico structure to raise funds to build a platform so it's hard to know you know which of which uh how much the failure is kind of down to the fact that actually the model of claiming that transparency will drive greater donations isn't true and how much of it is just a sort of failure of the ICO market or the particular implementation of it. Uh, on which note, like you guys haven't you know, gone in for an ICO despite the fact that you know, at least uh, last year they were all the rage. I don't know if you want to say a bit about kind of whether you thought about it and, and what your take on that was. We had a lot of discussions about it. A lot of discussion. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we we went back and forth because, as you said, ICOs were all the rage, and and I think both myself and Ben had reservations about doing an ICO, um, uh, but coming from slightly different angles on it, but but fundamentally with the same basic question, which is 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 it the right way to do things? Um, there there are a number of challenges with 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 the ICO model, apart from the the, the regulatory implications that are now emerging. Um, uh, one, of course, of which is that, you know, if, if you're raising money from people who are investing, they're looking for a return on investment. So, you know, no matter how much money you raise, you, you, you're not free. It doesn't give you a, a big pot of cash that you can just spend on what you want. You've got to drive a return for the investors um, or, or not. You could ignore them completely. But either of those routes seem to me to be uh, unethical, um, to, to have real problems attached to them. And, and so I think we, we, we had a lot of discussion about, you know, was there a way to do an ICO or something that resembled an ICO um, that got around those problems? The, one of the things we talked about is whether it's possible to create an ICO where the token isn't monetized, but is based around something like impact um, or is based around some form of exchange that isn't uh, currency based. 
um, uh, and, and to create a community that would make decisions around that, a community of, of engaged donors rather than investors who want to see an impact. Um, but we couldn't, in the end, come up with something that, that really seemed to work. Um, and by the time we sort of had all these discussions, the first uh, backlash was coming through on, on ICOs. The first regulatory impacts were, were, were starting to emerge. And it seemed to us at that point, yeah, maybe, maybe sort of more traditional fundraising is, is in fact just, uh, just good enough. You're not making promises you can't keep to a bunch of people who think they're going to get either a return or investment or a direct impact that they can see on their mobile phone or, or something along those lines. I think, I think, as Paul, Paul said, the, the ICO model leads directly to speculation, speculation on a coin or a token, which in some ways is, is good in terms of how you can start to engage a wider community, but also presents problems if, if your business model is, is structured around a token or a coin. Uh, and as we've seen with, with other companies within the kind of the wider charity space that have, that have launched ICOs or, or, or raised funds through an ICO, um, that their, their model is or their, their focus needs to remain on driving value in that token as opposed to driving value for their users and the wider the wider kind of community or or, or, or sector that they look to serve um, and that that for me was kind of the, the the deciding factor who who are we building this for are we building this for the the crypto blockchain community um, or are we building this for the aid sector? And I think the, the answer was was very clear that it was for, for the aid sector. Um, and you know, at the at the start of uh, of this podcast, Rod, you referred to us as a as a, a blockchain for for good or a blockchain for aid company, and that's certainly kind of where we where we positioned ourselves at the beginning of Disperse. And I think over that time, we've 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 kind of pivoted away from that in the sense that we now recognise ourselves as a as a as a fintech company that we're building a new financial institution for the aid sector and that we use blockchain technology as part of that um but blockchain isn't the defining factor about disperse necessarily that's that's interesting because i guess um you know we saw all the ridiculous stories last year about companies that added blockchain to their name like the long island iced tea company and whatever and, and saw their you know their stock value rise enormously because it was a very cool thing to do but actually i mean i i agree in a way it's weird that blockchain gets put front and center because it's fundamentally quite a boring back office technology that you can do some quite cool things with but i would think it was great if more organizations ended up you know broadly basing themselves as kind of social good fintech and maybe they use blockchain and maybe they don't in certain cases but actually the people on the ground or in the aid sector don't really need to care about it that would seem to me a probably a healthier state of affairs really yeah and i think yeah. that's right and and the, the conversations that we're having organizations don't don't need to know how blockchain works but they need to know what what it does for them in terms of their organization what are what are the benefits for them as, as in, in their organization and trying to wrap their heads around token structures and and moving from an existing fiat system where they use pounds or dollars or euros or local currency to one where they're suddenly trying to operate on on tokens, potentially that's the model that we'll see in the in the future. Um, but for now, we 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 don't believe that that's that's the right approach. I'm I'm still very interested in in token economies and the idea uh, of of the way in which you could implement an economy the the, the that is tokenized. Um, but the question for us when we were thinking about you know an ICO is fundamentally an ICO is you're selling tokens in order to raise funds. And I can see the logic of that. If the token represents something that's that's worth something, 
Um, so, for example, all the, the different tokens like Seacoin, which are, you know, you're, you're buying a token and the token gives you storage space. Um, or even gaming tokens where, you know, uh, the, buying the token gives you access to, to, a, to a gaming platform. I get that. But there just seemed to be an explosion of, of, of token sales, which it was very unclear what the token was actually good for. And when, it's, when you have that kind of situation, it's very obvious that what you're looking at is speculation. It's, it's purely driven by speculation and not by utility. Uh, and we could never answer the question of, okay, if we were to sell tokens, what would their utility be? Either for the investors or for the, the aid organizations or for the recipients of aid? What, what would the utility of that token be? We, we just couldn't answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree on that. I think I, t- I agree with you, Paul. I think there is something still fundamentally fascinating about the idea of token economics and, and kind of principles of mechanism design and trying to create incentive structures to you know more effectively get people to do things, you know, sort of pro-social things. But you do need to totally differentiate that from the idea that these things will have some kind of expected future financial value. And in a lot of cases, I think a lot of the problems came from the fact that all that was being said was, you know, buy this token because it will go up in value over time based on, you know, a graph that's just a sort of diagonal line going straight up and not much more than that. And and that to me was was extremely worrying. Um, it's I another thing I just wanted to touch on as well, as well as you know, you guys having thought a bit about um, ICOs and and tokens and sort of decided for you know reasons you've outlined there not not to go down that road at this particular time. Even though you're working with blockchain, you're not really kind of too heavily into the world of of crypto um and you know i'm always careful when i'm talking about this to differentiate between cryptocurrency as a single use case of blockchain and the much wider world of of blockchain i mean what's what's your kind of take at the moment on um kind of working within the world of blockchain but trying to possibly stay clear of crypto so i think when when we look at this we have to go back to the kind of the problem statement what are the problems that we're trying to solve for the sector and 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 they're around transparency uh, cost efficiency um and 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 the speed of 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 transfer and and certainly crypto can can solve some of them but it also presents problems for for some of those for some of those as well um first we look at, at volatility um Volatility is is an issue within the fiat world already, but within the crypto world is is much um, much more significant. Um, and the notion of managing uh, an aid budget for a project in Bitcoin, and that suddenly you know one day your your budget goes up by twenty percent because Bitcoin's something something's happened within the market, but the next day it goes down by thirty percent. Okay, maybe those you know that that's extreme volatility, but it's 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 volatility that we're we're seeing happen within the market. Um, and and that's a problem, and and that's one of the problems that we're trying to to solve. Um, and certainly, crypto does not enable that. I think what we're then seeing is people trying to address that problem with with stable coins. Well, then you have to have to ask the question: Well, what is that stable coin backed by? And if it's backed by fiat held in deposit, well, then in essence, what you're issuing is electronic money. And that and that's our approach. Our, our approach is that we issue electronic money. On the blockchain, we are authorized by the SEA as a small electronic money institution um, to do just that. Um, and that regulatory approach is is really important. The regulated approach is important for us because we're working with charities, we're working with governments, we're working with organisations that need to get that regulation piece right. And the the notion in the blockchain world that well, if we use blockchain, we can bypass 
the majority of that reg those regulatory requirements I think is is misleading um, and all too often we're, we're seeing that approach by other other organizations and all it will do is create problems problems within the wider space and what we're seeing at a, a kind of a global level is is countries you know some countries trying to work out how how to adopt or integrate crypto into their into their business processes um, but at the same time a number of countries especially in 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 the areas in Africa and Asia and Latin America that we look to work a lot of those countries you know closing closing the doors to, to crypto um, or, or trying to you know trying to put up some barriers at least to to crypto adoption and so yeah we, we go back to that point what is the problem that we're trying to solve and we don't believe that crypto that crypto actually solves that right now yeah, and I guess um, I think that point you were making there about the fact that different regulators, different countries around the world are taking quite different attitudes, to, particularly to crypto, but I mean, sort of to blockchain as well, and that those attitudes change quite regularly is one element of, of what I think, to my mind, seems to be one of the big challenges at the moment with successfully applying blockchain in a kind of international development and aid context. And that's the, the last mile challenge. So there's, you know, the the kind of idea, obviously, that, you can it's nice if you can put lots of transactions and things on a blockchain to get you know greater transparency and reduce uh transaction costs and things through decentralization but at some point realistically you need to turn it back into something that people can use on the ground and at the moment partly because of the regulatory interpretation but also because you know the technology the infrastructure isn't necessarily necessarily there in the places where you want to get the money to that could be a huge barrier i mean have you found that in in the work you guys have been doing We've had a lot of discussions about that last mile aspect. Um, and in fact, we're talking to a, a couple of different initiatives that are looking to solve that with their own uh, platforms. Uh, but our idea was always that what we want to do is, as Ben said before, you know, create a new type of financial institution. Um, and we don't know exactly what that new type of financial institution is going to look like. It's part banking service, it's part fund management, it's part foreign exchange. Um, you know, it's it's part blockchain platform. It's it's something new, and and so we're 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 building as we go, and and that's going to be the case for a while. Um, the 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 we would like to build that as the core. So we 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 provide a service in uh, in the the processes that we understand, that we know we can add value to, and where we know there's a demand. But the idea has always been that to extend that as far as possible. And there's two ways of doing that. One is obviously to, to build it in-house, so to extend the, the number of actors on the, the platform to include, for example, vendors, uh, local vendors, uh, potentially to include uh, recipients of aid with, with cash distribution. So to, to build that all into the platform. The other way is to, to work with other initiatives to, to build a software stack, essentially. So the, the, the dispersed platform can plug into uh, a last mile distribution platform, can plug into a mobile money system operated by a mobile network operator, can plug into an e-payment system that a local bank, a national bank might, uh, might have in place. Uh, and in that way to get the, the, the smoothness. Now, the downside of that, of course, is that as soon as you move over into to those other platforms, you, you lose some of the transparency. So we're going to have to think really carefully about that as we move forward. Um, but it seems you know, almost inevitable the, that we will be extending both uh, outward, downwards towards vendors, let's say, outwards towards uh, recipients of aid uh, and upwards uh, towards donors. Uh, the question is only really how do you do that? How do you bring as much transparency as possible together while still keeping the, the, the functionality that, that people are looking for? Yeah, uh, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I guess you, you build the bit you can build now, as you say, 
to prove the concept and then you hope that as adoption of the technology increases or you know or you get things like potentially central bank issued uh crypto versions of their own currency or digital versions actually all of a sudden those some of those last mile challenges disappear um so no no i i totally uh, get that point one of the the other things that i wanted to ask about in terms of the kind of practical challenges now um is just around the reality of operating with existing blockchains because i think there was you know a few years back and I, I was probably guilty of this as well there was quite a lot of quite sort of utopian uh talk about what this technology could in theory do and i think a lot of that still holds true but over time it's become true that there is more of a gap i think between some of that theory and the reality of where existing blockchains are now just in terms of the number of transactions they're able to process the speed the you know the energy requirements and that kind of thing how how sort of limiting have you found that in terms of your initial ambition um and and you have you had to kind of moderate that yeah so i think we've we've been relatively agnostic in the sense of what what blockchain platforms we we look to we look to build on we're currently building on on ethereum uh, and we're currently building on the ethereum testnet um and we we're taking that approach because as part of what we're trying to to demonstrate is is certainly kind of what what value blockchain brings but there's a, a number of other elements that we have to bring together um from a software perspective from a liquidity perspective from a regulatory perspective to tile those the tile those elements together so i think the technology challenge is is one of the challenges that we that we face but not certainly not the the only challenge um i think um in terms of in terms of our 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 approach um if if we if we look at kind of where where blockchain is today versus where it was 12 months ago uh, you know we we've come the wider blockchain sector has has come a long way there are a lot of clever people that are working on some of the challenges especially around scalability um that that we talk about and and therefore energy consumption as well um is certainly something that we're we're very aware of and and you know and and concerned about to a certain extent um that being said you know there's there's a lot of work being done to progress those those challenges um i'll let i'll let paul kind of add add a bit to that maybe yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the the challenges for us has been which blockchain do do we use? Which one can deliver the functionality the, that we need? And they all all blockchains have limitations. Um, it's uh, it's just a, a fact of life, and it's very difficult to keep up with uh, the number of blockchains out there and exactly what they're all doing at any given point. So we're still sticking with Ethereum. We're very aware, for example, of the problems around environmental impact. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, unless Ethereum can resolve that issue through proof of stake, uh, then then we, we almost inevitably will will move off it as uh, as we go forward. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer, especially from, you know, at any given point in time. I, I think that one of the things that we worry about going back to your, the original part of your question is the it's very clear now that there are limitations uh, and there, there was no explosion of, of blockchain for good projects there was a lot of announcements a lot of organizations have disappeared uh, it's the same sort of group small group of usual suspects that, that generally gets uh, talked about in the press um, and most of us are, are still working very hard even just to build the foundations um, and I think the that this biggest Let's take away from me there is that we we have a responsibility, particularly given the type of work we do, to be realistic. Um, I think the sort of the crimes of hype 
that are committed by the blockchain press uh, really are sort of unacceptable when it comes for, for the sorts of projects that, that we're involved in. Um, you know, we, we need to be more transparent. We need to be more realistic. Uh, we need to make sure that the, the partners that we're working with have a very clear idea of what's going on, what we can and can't do. We, on both sides, both us as a company and our partners, uh, need to undertake real due diligence uh, about what we're doing uh, and the impact it might have. Um, and I think that in some cases that's happening. Uh, I, I'm very, I had to you know, give a shout out to the World Food Programme, one of the first movers in this space. Over the last year, they've moved from, I think, being relatively opaque uh, to being quite transparent and engaging quite a lot with, with critics of, of what they're doing with their Building Brocks project. And regardless of what you think of that project, you've got to have respect for, for, for that engagement because that's what makes it possible to learn. That's what makes it possible to evaluate whether what's happening is, is worth investing in. Um, and so, you know, we, we seek to, to encourage that. And one of the reasons we're, we're talking to you is, is the, you know, we want to see more of these discussions. We want to be, we want to see uh, blockchain for good initiatives being very open about the limitations and the challenges and the problems as well as the successes. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, it's great to hear because I certainly I was interested at the end to get your general take on where you think the state of the market is and where it's going. Because my sense, certainly, which echoes what you're saying there, is we've reached a point where there's definitely a backlash within the wider world of blockchain and a growing amount of, of scepticism about the technology and some of the things that have been said about it. And on the one hand, you've got people with a vested interest in kind of pumping the technology up to the max. And then you've got people on the other side coming in and just trying to rubbish the whole idea. And as with anything, it's much more complicated than that. And somewhere in the middle are the remaining bits of the technology that are genuinely interesting and worth pursuing. But my concern is certainly in the context of kind of charities and blockchain for good is too many people will develop cynicism before they've actually given the technology a, a fair chance and kind of given it some uh, have it had given taken some opportunity to try and see what it really can do in practice so so i think your point there about you know having to be honest about the challenges but try and pursue these practical examples sounds exactly right i mean what what's your kind of general state of mind about about blockchain for good at the moment so I, 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 by by inclination, I tend to be quite cynical, um, and that includes about technology. I, I have this weird position where I've been working with new technologies for most of my career, um, but I've always been quite cynical about their potential and, and the impact. So I'm 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 a romantic, I guess. I, I'm I'm a believer, but I'm ready for that disappointment. Um, and so I I think the way that I feel about blockchain for good now and blockchain for good is a terrible category it doesn't exist so let's be clear about that agreed um, the way i the way I, the way i feel more broadly about sort of the use of blockchain the utility of blockchain for for having positive social impact is i i had hoped for some bigger wins by now not necessarily us but but uh, but in other projects as well i had hoped for more engagement on both sides, um, a better sort of level of dialogue uh, between the, the clients and the, the, the companies that are looking, or the initiatives that are looking to, to provide the services. Um, I, I'm well aware, I think, the, these things always take longer than you anticipate. The question we all have to ask is how long do we wait before we say, okay, this, this hasn't worked out? 
Um, uh, there'll always be some people who will sort of keep plugging away and building stuff in the background, regardless of what the the context is of uh, of support or, or cynicism. Uh, but for most of us, uh, I think we have to really positively engage, but be very realistic about the point at which, yeah, may maybe this won't work. Maybe this uh, this this is not the right time. Maybe it's not the right sector. Um, maybe there are external uh, factors which are, are going to prevent us from doing it. Up until that point, we keep on building. Uh, and this is something that we're very, very clear at Disperse. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. You know, we look at the changes that are happening in regulations. We look at sort of the, you know, the collapse of the crypto economy at the start of this year. Uh, we look at the, uh, the, the attacks that you mentioned, the critiques that you mentioned. Uh, and our response is exactly the same to all of those. We keep our heads down and we build. Uh, and I think if you do that and you keep a very clear focus on what you're trying to build, that that's the only way you can judge whether you've been successful or not. So, yeah, I don't know if Ben would add anything to that. No, I think I think Paul, Paul's right. It's it's a case of keep up, keep our heads down, keep our focus on on what we're building and what our end game is. Um, we're not building on we're not building a blockchain solution for the for the purpose of building on blockchain. We're we're building dispersed because we look to to solve those fundamental issues that exist within the sector, and that we look to, that we that our, our ambition is to to transform the sector, transform the way that money flows, and and that's not going to happen overnight. That's going to take time. It's going to take engagement, and it's going to take you know ongoing ongoing testing and learning, and and certainly that's where we see ourselves kind of within our pilot phase at the moment is going through that process, trying to get as much kind of as much feedback and as much engagement as possible. From from those users, those organisations that that we that we're working with, um, and for me that is the only approach that we can that we can take, um, and that we have to yeah we have to kind of double down and, and kind of try and stay clear of all the hype, um, and and be clear to what we're building, be true to what we're building. It's important for us as well to to have a long term vision, and although we're talking, and in this podcast we've been talking about things which are quite mundane. One of the challenges we've had is, is it takes a long time to engage with organizations. You have to go through different parts of the organization, operations, legal, risk, finance, before you can actually really get them to, to come on board with, with what you're trying to do. Um, but that's a, a key part of, I think, what we're trying to do. And that's the, although a lot of blockchain propositions are, we're going to transform the sector from the outside in. We're looking to transform the sector from the inside out. To, to take the existing power dynamics, the flows of finance, uh, and to change that, the way that works, the way those processes work, in order to transform the sector from the inside towards something that's more distributed, towards something in which finance flows more easily to where it's needed, to a situation where smaller local organizations have a, a similar level of autonomy to large international organizations, where individual donors and individual recipients of aid have a chance to connect, uh, you know, all of these dynamics are, are wrapped up in the transformation we want to see, but it's important for us that transformation comes from the inside out, because I think, based on my past experience, the transforming from the outside in is generally going to destroy the thing you're trying to transform uh, or fail miserably. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, that's that's part of the way in which we're working and, and one of the reasons why these 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 processes take so long, because you have to engage, you have to to, to work out how people's tolerance levels are and uh, and what direction you can you can help them to move in. Great. Well, 
that's absolutely great guys we're in danger of running a bit long so i'll i'll call a halt there but just want to say thanks so much for for coming on on the podcast i think everybody listening is going to really appreciate having such a kind of honest conversation about blockchain because it is an area as we've discussed you know at some length where there's an enormous amount of hype and actually having some people kind of doing this stuff but being quite honest about some of the challenges i think will be really interesting and eye-opening for people so thanks very much for doing it and uh you know i wish you all the best uh, in terms of your future efforts with disperse well thanks for having us rod cheers thanks a lot rod and good luck with the rodcast <laughs> yeah tm paul <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so, yeah, thanks again to Ben and Paul for, for coming on the podcast. Um, it was a really interesting chat. And I think, as I said there to them at the end, hopefully a really good opportunity to get insight from some people actually working with, with blockchain um, about the, the realities of doing that and what some of the challenges they found are and why they think there are still you know real opportunities uh, in this space so uh, keep an eye on the the work they're doing because i think you know there's some some really interesting st- interesting stuff coming out of it um so it just remains for me to say um i'll put some links in the show notes to some relevant things to what we've talked about today um if you're more generally interested in you know the work i've been doing on technology or kind of more widely on philanthropy and civil society check out the giving thoughts pages in the CAF website follow me on twitter at rodri underscore h underscore davis um if you've got ideas for things you'd like us to talk about on the podcast or people you'd like me to interview um drop me a line at giving thought at cafonline.org other than that uh, like subscribe definitely tell all your friends about it and i will see you next time bye